The Book of Matthew, Chapter 5, Verses 45 through 48. So that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Called to Perfection This promised commandment is written in the book of Matthew, and it is presented to us in the series of sermons of Apostle Arcadi. It is the inheritance of saints of all time, and this commandment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. And therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and will likely never have a relation to it. We have stopped to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person clothed in the ability to clothe one's essence into the holy or the selective love of God. Colossians chapter 3 verses 14 through 15. But above all these things put on love which is the bond of perfection and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you are called in one body. Based on these words, the reign of the peace of God or the righteousness of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition. If His holy selective love dwells in our hearts and we are clothed in the holy or selective love of God. And the character of the holy or selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven virtues. These are written in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through uh, 2 through 8. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. Each individual virtue of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. These virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God that are given to us through Christ, which we are called to become enriched and clothed in. And to enter into the inheritance of these virtues is possible only by accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life in the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. But through the inheritance of these great and precious promises, we are made partakers of God's essence. And again, remembering all that we have read in our notes of Apostle Arkady, if we sum it up and say, quickly in summary seven definitions then we begin with virtue in virtue we were it was necessary for us to define the source from which flows good and this source is God but God reveals himself in specific things and he wants us to to specify his kingdom of heaven this kingdom of heaven is his good on earth represented by the church of christ of god's chosen remnant which in proverbs the last chapter is presented in a, as a virtuous wife it is the virtue virtue can be found and begins with the virtuous wife there lemuel king lemuel says what his mother has what King Lemuel's mother had advised him on. Lemuel said that she told him who will find a virtuous wife. Her price is higher than rubies. He who finds the church of the chosen remnant of God, the price of this church, is higher 
is higher than rubies. We see here that the virtue of God contains in itself or can be opened through the virtuous wife that is represented by the Church of Jesus Christ. And scripture says that the mother said to King Lemuel, you must find this virtuous wife. And to find this virtuous wife, it's not simple. Another place of scripture that Pastor Arcadi focuses on, uh, he is focused on the words of Jesus Christ who said, Aim to enter through the narrow gates, for many will search for it, but will not be able to find it. Many will search to find it, but will not be able to find it. Why? Because it is necessary to find them firstly in the face of a virtuous wife. And after we have found this good, this great good, the second thing we have is knowledge. Knowledge is specifically in their church where we begin to learn what is good, what is evil, not what I consider good or what I consider evil, evil but what God calls in His word good and what He calls evil. Third quality, self-control. Having heard what good is and what evil is, I make a decision and I select good and I reject evil. Fourth, patience comes to help. After I have made the decision to choose good, it says this is not easy. To choose good means to look at that which God calls good. It is found in hope. It is found in the future, in the invisible sphere, in the spiritual sphere. And to call this inexistent as already existent, and for this it is necessary to have patience. Then we have godliness. Godliness tells us that that which God calls evil, I will help you keep your sanctification through your continuing, your dedication, through your continuing sanctification to the day of the arrival of Christ. And then we come into brotherly love in the room of brotherly love where there occurs the clothing into the holiness of God, the transfer from death to life, after which we enter into the throne of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, in the room that is called the love of God, agape, the bond of all perfection where there is the coronation of the church. And so the selective love of God, expressed in seven unearthly virtues and characteristics, has nothing in common and cannot have anything in common with the nature of the tolerant love that is filled with selfishness, ignorance, and inconsistency. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the selective love of God differs in that it contains His zeal, His omnipotence, and His absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. It is the fruit of virtue of the selective love of God contained in the format of seven virtues that is called to destroy the power of death in our body and in its place reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our bodies in the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. And before us was posed four questions, and we have stopped to study the third question that sounds like the following. What conditions are necessary to fulfill in order to receive the ability to demonstrate in our faith brotherly love? To in our faith, the virtue of agape, which flows from brotherly love. We are continuing to study brotherly love. This is that place where saints must go from the state of death into the state of life. So then they can be clothed in the resurrection of Christ. And this is a very important room for us to be in. There is none other than our capability to take off the old man and then be clothed in the righteousness and holiness of truth. This is a very important room 
that cannot be forgotten or avoided. And here are the conditions, what conditions we need to fulfill. And we have talked about the first condition, and I stopped to study the second one. The second condition, giving God the basis to pour out His love in our hearts, in the atmosphere of brotherly love, is to demonstrate salt in our faith, to have relations with one another in the covenant of salt, which means to demonstrate holiness and brotherly love. It is necessary to demonstrate holiness and brotherly love. We are talking about holiness. Mark chapter 9, verses 49 through 50. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace with one another. So, salt is a good thing. Sugar is not a good thing, but salt is a good thing. Sugar must be limited, but salt must be used correctly. This is a very good item. It is necessary for us to answer four questions talking about the holiness of God, in which we will define the purpose, the price, and by what signs we should test ourselves that we have the presence of holiness in us. And we have stopped at the third question, what price is necessary to pay in order to demonstrate the fruit of holiness and demonstrating the love of God that discovers itself in the atmosphere of brotherly love and the functions of the covenant of salt. What price must be paid? How much does it cost to have holiness, which we demonstrate in brotherly love? And we have stopped to, uh, we will today we will read seven, seven uh, prices, or Pastor mentioned seven points in which he talks about how much it costs, how much holiness costs, for which a person pays, where? In the covenant of salt. In the covenant of blood, Jesus paid his price and gave us his holiness. In the covenant of salt, we begin to pay the price in order for us to be able to discover in ourselves this holiness that was placed in us when we received justification as a gift of grace and were born again as a deposit. Now, in the covenant of salt and then in the covenant of rest, we firmly affirm that holiness that was laid in us in the covenant of blood in the Holy Jesus. And so, seven components. Today we will answer how much holiness costs, which we are called to demonstrate in the covenant of salt. And so the first price, we arrive to it and we'll read. First, the price for the right to practice holiness and demonstrating the love of God that flows from the atmosphere of brotherly love is comprised of the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Okay, so the first price of holiness and brotherly love is obedience. Obedience to the word of God, to the faith of God. Numbers twenty twelve. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to hallow me in my eyes of the children of Israel. Take a look here. He says, You did not believe me to hallow me in in the eyes of the children of Israel. But if you would have believed me, you would have hallowed me. What does this mean? That obedience, submission is the holiness of God. And he says to Moses and Aaron that if you were to have believed me, even just to demonstrate or practice my holiness before the eyes of all of Israel, um, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. And so, from this verdict or decree of the judgment carried out by God to Moses and Aaron, it follows that unswerving obedience to the words of God that represent the faith of God is the demonstration and expression of the holiness of God that magnifies the truth of the word of God above every name of God. 
It is obedience to the words of God. This is the demonstration of the holiness of God. What is the holiness of God? He has magnified His word above all His name. And this word, when it was in neglect, when He saw that two of His leaders had neglected this word, then they could not have holiness. They couldn't have holiness. And the Lord said that you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them, the promised land. We have noted Pastor Arkady writes that uh, the reason for the unbelief of Moses and Aaron to the words of God was comprised of their communication to the, the, to the disobedient, who the scripture relates to evil company. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 33-34, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits, awake to righteousness, and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Why? Why will some not enter the promised land? Because we don't demonstrate His holiness. How can we demonstrate His holiness? Through the obedience of His word. His word, which He has magnified above all His name. This was the first price. The second, the second price for the right to practice holiness and demonstrating the love of God that flows from the atmosphere of brotherly love is comprised of our obedience to the words of the person established for us by God. Numbers chapter 6, verse 5. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. If an ordinary Israelite dedicate himself to be a Nazarene unto the Lord for a certain amount of time, then the prophets of the Most High were Nazarenes their whole life. Having in ourselves the spirit of prophecy, yielding the status of our Nazarene in our hair on the head of our innermost man means having in our heart revelation about the person whom God established over us and obeying the words of this person. Take a look here, that on the head of our innermost man, our spirit must have upon himself a state of a Nazarene, long locks on his head, a long veil. And this veil tells us that he represents the authority of God, and he acknowledges the authority of God placed over him. And this is possible under one condition. If in our heart will dwell Thumim in the dignity of the reading teaching of Christ and Urim in the dignity of the Holy Spirit, who unveils the mystery of Thumim in our heart through the preached word of the person endowed with the fatherhood of God. What have I highlighted for myself here? Very important. Pay attention. That uh, our status of our Nazarene begins not when the Holy Spirit begins to open the truth this not is not when I receive the revelation that this happens. This cannot be allowed because I might boast of myself. I've received something. I received a revelation. Oh, look at this. The presence of Urim and Thummim is defined by our ability to demonstrate the locks on our head. Urim and Thummim is not when I can receive supernatural revelations. It is when I acknowledge over myself the person whom God has established over me. From this is where Urim and Thummim begins to express itself. How wonderful. Imagine, you have Urim and Thummim. Usually when we hear Urim and Thummim, we say, well, okay, Pastor is talking about himself, we might think. 
But we have this Sorimantamim. If we have accepted the man of God and that which we do today, this means that we have accepted, we have magnified the word of God. We submit, as was in the first component, we magnified the word of God because God magnified it. And now we accept the authority of the person whom God gives us his word. Thus, our spirit demonstrates the status of a Nazarene before God. And therefore, the hair on the head of our innermost man is not only the image of his obedience to the words of the person who represents the fatherhood of God, but also the image of his priesthood in the temple of his body, expressed in turbans made for Aaron and his sons for glory and beauty. It turns out that in order for him, the new man, my spirit, can be a priest in the temple of my body, it is necessary for, for him to have a, a head, a, a turban, a turban, a, a turban made for Aaron and his sons for glory and beauty. Why? so that my spiritual man, my spirit, could, in this temple, in this body, could reign, could be a priest. The head turbans made out of linen were necessary for entering into the presence of the Lord. Fine linen was made from flax. The lack of a head turban made of linen upon entering into the presence of God resulted in immediate death. Take a look. Here is where the spirit dies. Here is where there is shipwreck in faith. Where does it begin with? Our spirit is called to be a priest in the temple of our body. And how can he do this if he doesn't have any head turbans made out of linen? I placed my intellect above all else, and therefore this uh, this can't happen. A person comes to a complete catastrophe. Leviticus 10, 6-11, we will read about how our spiritual man must look like our innermost man. And Aaron, uh, and Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die. And wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting. Third, again, I will remind you, we are studying the price. How much holiness costs, which we are called to demonstrate in the covenant of salt. The third price, we will arrive to it and read it. The price for the right to practice holiness and demonstrate the love of God that flows from the atmosphere of brotherly love is comprised of the need to abstain from fornication. Someone will say, what, is, what does this mean? What kind of fornication are we talking about? There is different kinds of fornication. I don't, let us read further. These are there are characteristics that are placed equal with fornication. Of course, a person says, I am a religious, a prideful person, and religious people, everything is igniting, but they don't fall, they think, because they place religion, their religious glory and fornication on the scales. They take religious glory. Uh, scripture says that if they were to have been given the opportunity to close everyone's eyes, these would be dead religious people. The most dead people are religious people, those who are a cult. Religious people are the most distorted people. When this person, uh, when this person is looking at us, it's dangerous to look into his eyes. We will look at fornication on one level, and someone might say, Oh, I ha might have these qualities in me. Well, let's take a look. What we... 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. In connection with this command, we will mention 10 reasons why a person, in spite of his sanctification, so-called sanctification, cannot abstain from fornication. So there are 10 reasons, 10 reasons that cannot abstain him from fornication or those characteristics that are on the same step or level as fornication. So the first reason, 10 reasons. Here's the first one. Uh, there's 10 reasons, like a, like 10 commandments. We should write these down and remember them. First reason why a person, his sanctification cannot withhold from fornication is comprised of the fact that this is not the spirit of fornication that should be cast out as a demon is cast out, but this is our earthly essence that must be put to death through the cooperation of our cross with the truth of the cross of Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Therefore, put to death the members of your body. The second reason why a person in his sanctification cannot withhold from fornication is comprised of his legalization of wine drinking. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. Do not be drunk with wine, Pastor says. This has several meanings. Do not drink a lot, but also do not be satisfied with. To be drunk is to be satisfied, and to not be drunk is to not be satisfied and to drink a lot. And these two meanings go together. And so do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The third reason why a person in his sanctification cannot withhold from fornication is comprised of the fact that we are not found in the place and at the time where we must be found. And we know an example, this was David, who at that time when the kings went out to war, at this time he he was left behind. He stayed behind and he, he could not withhold himself. And he had fallen into sin, specifically at that time when the when um, Amen had besieged Rabbah, all the means they came, the Jews came. They used all their means so that the Anointed One could fall. And Devil knew this. They came to the city of the Ammonites, and when they had surrounded David, since. And the victory was, it was not impossible to have full victory. There had to be warfare going on, and David had to be there along with along with other men. The fourth reason, here it's important to highlight that prayer service uh, is very important, very important. We have already understood this, and I see based on that desire that saints have, and they come to service, this honor to the Word of God means that we can go on to the fourth point. The fourth reason why a person in his sanctification cannot withhold from fornication is comprised of the fact that his sanctification does not coincide with the requirements of Scripture because his eye is not clean. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19-24. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This darkness is called, uh, known as a carnal nature, and we must be rid of. 
Fifth reason why a person whose sanctification cannot withhold from fornication is comprised the fact that he keeps a friendly relationship with the world or lusts for the world. James chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Adulterers and adulteresses. Apostle James turns to the church. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more peace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The sixth reason why a person in his sanctification cannot withhold from fornication is comprised of the fact that he did not care to have God in his mind to give God the basis to seal his forehead with righteousness. So, to meditate or to ponder is a very important component. Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to be a debased mind, to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. The seventh reason. Seventh reason why a person in his sanctification cannot withhold from fornication is comprised of the fact that the treasury of his heart is evil. Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 to 37. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The eighth reason, the eighth reason why a person in his sanctification cannot withhold from fornication is comprised of the fact that his heart is not given to his father, and his eyes are not observant of the ways of his father. This talks about a person who is represented by the fatherhood of God. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait as for a victim. The synagogue of Satan and increases the unfaithful among men. So here this is talking about how it is necessary to look at the person who represents the fatherhood of God. Otherwise, we will look at the synagogue of Satan, which is presented here as the harlot and as the wife of another. Fifth, the reason why a person in his sanctification cannot withhold from fornication is comprised of the fact that he did not make a covenant with his eyes to not look upon young woman. Job 3.1.1 I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? When Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes, we are referring to the agreement of our heart in the face of our innermost man with our soul, which we lost in the death of the Lord Jesus and gained again in his resurrection. So, to place a covenant means our innermost man comes to agreement with our thinking. Otherwise, our thinking 
If this covenant is not made, and for this covenant to be made, we need to place something in our innermost man into our conscience. And when the teaching of Jesus Christ is placed in the conscience of a person that was previously cleansed of dead works, then this is able to make a covenant with the agreement with my soul, with my mind. And the mind is going to then make an agreement and write a contract with the eyes, with the hands, with the ears, with the lips, and so forth. The tenth reason why a person in his sanctification cannot withhold from fornication is comprised of the fact that he does not comprehend the essence of true and total sanctification that pursues the anointing goal of true and total dedication. Exodus 40, chapter 1, verses 15. I will read selectively. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and you shall hallow it in its utensils, and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. And you shall anoint the laver in its base and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron, anoint him, and consecrate him, that they may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. And there, if you listen, uh, Pastor talks about how the anointed, how this was anointed, the tabernacle. It, it had to be built. Then it had to place all the belongings of the tabernacle in its place. And when it was completely prepared, only then did God begin to anoint it. If we begin to anoint and send people to ministry or to portray ourselves as some kind of anointed men, some people say, I also am an anointed man of God, and someone hit themselves in the chest. Pastor just needed to correct that we have different kinds of anointing. I have an anointing of a teacher. You have an anointing of a disciple. I have an anointing to speak. You have an anointing to proclaim what you hear. And this person says, no, I want to, to preach just like you. He says, I re a person completely uncovered himself. He says, "I want to, I want to proclaim independent revelations." And now these people are standing as head of churches. And take a look at who you are reading before the white throne. I want to, I want to proclaim independent revelations. I'm also an anointed, just like you. People, then we're going to ask, where is all this going? Into one direction. Because these people also had a desire to hit themselves and say, I have something independent that I want to share with others. Therefore, that anointing that was here, for this anointing, it was necessary to completely prepare the tabernacle. And when it was ready, when all was ready, according to Scripture, only then was it anointed by God. This was the third component. The fourth price, and again, I'll remind you how much holiness costs, which we demonstrate in the covenant of salt. We will come to the fourth one and read what is in there. The fourth price for the right to practice holiness and demonstrating the love of God that flows out of the atmosphere, brotherly love, is comprised of setting aside the former way of life of the old man, renewing our thinking with the spirit of our mind in order to be clothed in the new man created by God in righteousness and holiness of truth. A place of scripture that is well known to us, Ephesians chapter 4. As the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness of truth.
We have repeatedly drawn our attention to the fact that a person born of God cannot automatically enter into the inheritance of righteousness and holiness of truth, which contains in itself the inheritance of our hope in Christ Jesus and the salvation of our soul and the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. And if we believe that having accepted salvation in the forgiveness of sins previously committed, we are already saved, then we are deeply mistaken since the forgiveness of our sins does not deliver us from the manufacture of sin living in our body in the face of the old man, behind which stand the organized forces of darkness. When we are born from the seed of the word of truth, then our spirit and the dignity of our innermost man, by its nature and its origin, becomes akin to, the, to God and carries in itself the genetic program of God. while our soul, with its rational and emotional sphere, remains the same and carries the genetic program of the fallen cherub transmitted to us the sinful seed of our fathers in the flesh, and it depends on this program. Our soul depends on this program. And our body reaps its fruit, the fruit of this soul. We grow old, we die, and we grow sick. Therefore, our task and our calling is not the salvation of the world, but the salvation of our soul and our body. With this definition, it's difficult to argue. If you take all of these who want to go evangelize into Mexico or to Africa or other countries due to their zeal, if we tell them that our goal is not the salvation of the world, but the salvation of our soul and body. They, they will say, well, it sounds very nice. No one has ever told us this before, they'll say. If the preacher's word have told us that we need to save our soul and our body, we would have never run to Africa, never. You mean that my soul is not saved and my body is not saved? Well, sir, when did you look in the mirror the last time? No, it is not saved. The former way of life is a system of values, moral and cultural heritage. What is the former way of life that we value so much and that is so difficult to lose in the death of Jesus? It is the system of values, moral and cultural heritage expressed in the rules and patterns of behavior reflecting the semblance of life outside of God, which a person inherits the genetics of the sinful life of his fathers. Therefore, attitude towards the former way of life should be considered as an attitude towards sin in general. At the same time, I'll remind you that the verb set aside, translated from the Hebrew language into Greek, has seven semantic shades or meanings, which tell us to set aside means distinguish or undress and strip to set aside means to distinguish or undress and strip it is to distinguish undress and strip second it's to stop using and unharness the horses from the chariot so that then we can put them in another chariot and to place another burden and yoke on them third to reject with contempt the former way of life with contempt. We need to be brought to such a condition through the Word of God so that I, with contempt, can look at the former way of life. 
The former way of life is a system of values, of moral and cultural heritage. And here, Pastor says, to set aside is to reject with contempt the former way of life. I need to explain through the Word of God so that I can neglect this old way of life. Apostle Paul said, all that was considered as a gain for me, I considered as rubbish for Christ. Because this former way of life had to be rejected with contempt. Set aside means to, detro- to dethrone the former way of life, to get rid of the shackles, to declare yourself independent from the former way of life, and seventh, to separate and die to the former way of life. Each of the seven meanings presented finds its actual expression in Scripture, which in each case offers specific conditions that dictate how to challenge the former way of life. If we arm ourselves with these meanings, then the former way of life will exhaust all its possibilities for existence, giving way to a new way of life, the renewal of our thinking with the spirit of our mind. And this was the first. We need to set aside the former way of life. The next or the subsequent action is for us to now renew our thinking with the spirit of our mind. After we were born again, that is, from God, then to the presence of our former way of life flowing outside of God, we acquired a new or different way of life corresponding to the life of God called to flow in God, for God, and with God. Thus, having accepted salvation from the second death, second death is uh, separation with God, first death is when we separate with our body. When we are born again, we receive salvation from the second death. Our body has become a repository of two opposite and hostile personified dimensions of life, represented by the old man and the new man. The verb renew in Hebrew has many meanings. And... We will remember seven meanings that are found in each other and confirm the truth of each other. And so what does it mean to renew? To renew means to embody a new way of life. It means to partake to the Holy Spirit, to transform into a new way of life, to be obedient to the influence of the Holy Spirit, to allow God to involve us in a new way of life, to be reborn for a new way of life, and to inherit a new way of life through victory. These commands are our role and our calling to work together with the truth of Scripture and with the Holy Spirit, and no one but us will be able to accomplish this task. And therefore, to embody or introduce a new way of life into our thinking is to exercise the ability to listen understand our spirit in our renewed mind. The ability to listen and understand our spirit in our mind is a unique opportunity to develop and exercise cooperation between our reborn spirit and the renewed sphere of our soul's thinking. Because any revelation of God finds its expression exclusively through the cooperation of the rational sphere of our soul with the rational sphere of our spirit. All those who want to receive a revelation, again, I read this to you again, any revelation of God finds its expression exclusively through the cooperation of the rational sphere of our soul with the rational sphere of our spirit. Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. This was a second action. The subsequent action, which determines the price, consists in clothing our body in the new man through a renewed mind that cooperates with our clean lips. The new man, whom we need to put on, 
this third component to be clothed the new man created by God in righteousness and holiness of truth, the new man that we are called to be clothed in carries the potential of eternal life in time. My spirit, my innermost man, carries the potential of eternal life here on earth in time. The eternal life in my spirit, and because it has this eternal potential, all this potential must completely clothe my body. In scripture, very wonderful here, very wonderful. This is not just something supernatural, eternal from there in heaven that will come, but this is eternal, and it dwells in our physical bodies, in our new man. And scripture says that we are going to put on this image of this new man. Uh, we must be put on and put on the new man. Everything, completely, fully. Completely, fully. In scripture, by putting on the image of a new man means putting on a living fine linen, a living I highlighted here for myself, living, we're not talking about an abstract linen, but a living linen. This living linen is found in the innermost man. We must put on the living uh, fine linen clean and bright, about which it is said that such fine linen is the righteousness of the saints, in which our new man is clothed when he comes to the fullness of the stature of Christ. When we come to the fullness of the measure of Christ, we become a living linen. To be clothed in a linen, clean and bright, means to call our nest, we're talking about an eagle, to ascend like eagles, to capture oneself, to humble oneself, to discipline oneself, be exalted in the courts, and to reveal the holiness of the Lord in righteousness. All these seven definitions. Deuteronomy 32, 11-12 As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 11 through 12. To allow God to lead us like an eagle carries its chicks on its feathers, it is necessary to learn to humble oneself before His will in the words of His messengers. As written, people shall be brought down, each man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled, but the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God who is holy shall be hallowed in righteousness. Here the Lord is exalted in judgment, and He for us becomes an eagle. Before he will carry me on his eagle's wings, it's necessary in my personal life to make him an eagle. How? Through humility. When I am humbled and when the eyes of the proud are um, humbled, then the Lord will be exalted in judgment and becomes an eagle for me, who now begins to teach me to fly. Showing humility before the will of God is the price for the right to cooperate with the fruit of holiness we have grown, with the holiness of God, which will give God a reason to lift us up. James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourself as in sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. So through humility, we magnify the Lord, and then God magnifies, er, exalts us, lifts us up, and carries us on His wings. The fifth price. We are talking about how much holiness costs, which we demonstrate in the covenant of salt. We will arrive to the fifth price. The fifth price for the right to demonstrate or to practice holiness is comprised of separating ourselves from everything that is unholy. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. 
and do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Yoke is was something that was placed on two oxen and they were bound together and they walked together and uh, there could be a certain weight that was carried on them they could be used for work so this this yoke was upon them and for example two oxen were tied together with and scripture says that there is a yoke under which we should not be under there is the yoke of christ which we must carry his burden together with. And here's who we should not carry burden with. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This requirement not to be yoked with unbelievers is presented in five prohibitions that represent our sanctification, in which we are called to manifest holiness. This is prohibition on communion with of righteousness with lawlessness, prohibition on communication between light and darkness, prohibition on agreement between Christ and Belial, prohibition on the complicity of the faithful with the unfaithful, and prohibition on the compatibility of the temple of God with idols. And so let us look at the first one. What does scripture define by righteousness, which is contraindicated in communion with lawlessness? Because this yoke is placed upon us, that we must understand that we must break this yoke. We must not be unequally yoked. There must not be a righteousness with lawlessness because it is righteousness that is called to guard the boundaries of holiness. Righteousness, defining the boundaries of holiness in the heart of a person, expresses itself in the fulfillment of the law of the commandments established by God. Therefore, righteousness outside the heart has no right to be called and to be righteousness. It is a fulfillment of the commandments of Christ, which are watchmen protecting in our heart the boundaries of holiness that give God a legal basis to stay among us and be our God and we his people. Lawlessness in the heart of a person is a violation and opposition to the commandments of Christ by opposing the commandments of Christ with his own righteousness. In other words, as soon as a righteous person enters into fellowship with a lawless person, instead of separating from him, he loses his righteousness. Second Chronicles chapter 30, 20, verses 35 to 37. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly, and he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish and they made the ships in Ezion Geber but Eleazar the son of Dodava and Mareshah prophesied against Jehoshaphat saying because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah the Lord has destroyed your works then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish very dangerous to be yoked with lawlessness. Scripture or scripture asks question two, what does scripture define by the light that dwells in us and what is contraindicated in communion with the darkness that is among us? We're looking at the five prohibitions. First, uh, righteous should not have a relationship with the lawlessness or righteousness should not have a relationship with lawlessness because all of this will be, all this work will be destroyed. Second, 
there must not be communication between light and darkness. Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 24. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be the loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is our carnal nature. The light that can be in us and is at the same time viewed by darkness is our carnal nature, expressed in our hope in the light of our intellect, which by its nature is darkness. In this state, we will not only be no different from the foreigners, but we will also represent these foreigners among the remnant chosen by God. And therefore, the true light in a person making him a light for the world is the presence of his heart of two great witnesses, of Thumim and Urim, who represents the dominion of the Holy Spirit who reveals in our hearts the mystery of the truth of Thumim. As soon as the sons of light take the position of a tolerant attitude towards the sons of darkness who consider themselves sons of light, they discredit in their hearts the dignity of light and go beyond the boundaries of holiness, dooming themselves to destruction with the sons of darkness. Third, what should be considered in our heart under Christ who lives in us in an agreement with Bilial, who is among us in the face of the foreigners. There should not be any communion between, there not be any agreement with Christ and Bilial. Uh, sometimes inside, in a Christian, he tries to bring Christ and Bilial to agreement together within himself. Bilial is one of the names denoting Satan, the adversary of Christ. In scripture, this name is often associated with the word death and with the word wickedness and defines wicked and evil people and suitable and depraved people, streams of lawlessness in the words of these people, a worthless woman in the form of the daughter of Babylon. The False Church in order to pay the price for the right to practice holiness and the demonstration of brotherly love and one's faith, it is necessary not to make any agreement with the foreigners, both in the face of the wicked and lawless people and their communities, in the face of an unworthy woman in the image of the daughter of Babylon representing religious communities, mixing the divine with the human. So, imagine what kind of horror can be here. I can try to unite Christ with Belial, Satan, in my life. Can you imagine what saints sometimes are led to do? Children of God who have been born again due to their carnal nature. They will unite or make an agreement between Christ and Belial. Christ in us, or the result, is, presence, is, is the presence of trust and the hope that is set before us, called to abide in our hearts, in the dignity of the promise presented in Jesus Christ and the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1, 26-29. Now we will look at Christ, Christ that lives in us. If He lives in us, then He will... then we will never have friendship with Belial, with Satan, with the wicked, with lawlessness. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Therefore, 
Christ dwells in us. And let's remember the results of Christ living in us. When Christ lives in us, there are certain results that will allow, that will not allow for then Bilial to live within us as well. Only as a result of Christ living in us, we first become the temple of God and the carrier of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, as a result of Christ living in us, we'll be transformed into the essence of Christ and not the essence of Bilial. If we are transformed into the essence of the Holy Christ in His holy love, this means that Christ lives in us and we are not trying to make uh, an agreement between Him and Bilial. Furthermore, result of Christ living in us, we will have the ability to search for God within us and not Bilial. Furthermore, as a result of Christ living in us, amid trials and testing ourselves, we will discover Christ. Furthermore, as a result of Christ living in us, we are going to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and interpret it with our tongue. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1-2 through two. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me and His word was on my tongue. The word of God is written in my heart and I proclaim this word and when I proclaim this word then Bilyal cannot live within me if I have this word written in my intellect I have learned it and I pray from my intellect Bilyal might live in the heart and we will try to to unite Jesus with Satan together as a result of Christ living in us we are going to experience resurrection in our contrite heart Furthermore, fourth, what does Scripture view under a faithful person who is contraindicated in complicity with an unbeliever who is among us in the face of foreigners? So there are five prohibitions, and here is a faithful person must not be in complicity with an unbeliever. Faithfulness in our sanctification is meant to be determined in the justice of our judgment. Or, in scales, weights, and an ephah, which are meant to conform to the requirements of Scripture. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 35 through 37. You shall do no injustice in judgment in the measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, and an office ephah. Here, Pastor says that how can we place in ourselves in the physical it's impossible to to unite a faithful with uh, an unbeliever but inside we might do this having been faithful we might uh, try to have co- be complicit with an unbeliever how we give appraisal it says you shall have you shall have honest scales honest weights and an honest ephah a person who is faithful unfaithful is a person who is unfaithful, uh, but a person who is faithful will have honest weights, honest ephah, and an honest hin, a person who is faithful. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. Justice in the expression of our judgment in skills, weights, and an ephah. It is intended to be that our judgment would meet all the requirements of the judgment of the righteous. Therefore, we need to distinguish between the difference in judgment between faithful and the unfaithful. And so, let us bring this parallel, the judgment of the faithful and the unfaithful. 
On the one hand, the judgment of the unfaithful always consists in the fact that their judgment is carried out outside the boundaries of their responsibility. So they judge all things that they have no responsibility over. And on the other hand, the judgment of the unfaithful is always carried out from the position of their own understanding and their own sensations. They say, I, this is what I feel. And they judge a person which whom they have no responsibility over. Scripture says you cannot have complicity between the faithful and unfaithful within us. And now let us take a look at the judgment of the righteous, the correct judgment. We will look at the judgment of the righteous. On the one hand, the judgment of a righteous person always takes place within the boundaries of a responsibility that is well known to him. What is a righteous judgment? We judge that for which we personally carry responsibility over. On the other hand, the judgment of the righteous is always carried out according to the patterns of the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So, the righteous, how does he judge? Only in that sphere in which he carries responsibility and only in agreement to the commandments and statutes. So when he says, oh, do not control me. I'm not controlling him, carry responsibility. Therefore, children cannot say, Pastor said, don't control me, you are controlling me. I'm carrying responsibility over you, son. I am not controlling you. This is so that children don't say this against their parents. You can say this to to a foreign for to a foreign guy, but you can't say you can't control me to your parents. They're not controlling their hair responsibility. Even when these children have mustaches, if they live in the same house as their parents, then then their parents still carry responsibility. Not perhaps they can't be um, disciplined like as they were children, but they do carry responsibility. And then when we leave our home, we will be responsible for our parents. But right now we are responsible before our parents. And they have the right to sometimes to place us in our in our place if we do foolish things, not having advice with them. And you can't never say, you're controlling me. Take a look at what Job said. Job chapter 36. Indeed, he would have brought you out of the desire, dire distress into a broad place where there is no restraint, and what is set on your table will be full of richness. But you are filled with a judgment due the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold of you. Because there is wrath, beware, lest he take you away with one blow, for a large ransom would not help you avoid it. A person who judges, uh, not from the position of the word of God, and this was the fourth prohibition. This is complicity between the faithful and unfaithful. Unfaithful is uh, one who, who, who carries out incorrect justice and judgment. The fifth prohibition, we are taking a look at how we might have been able to bind ourselves as in the same yoke with Satan. The fifth prohibition, what does Scripture consider in the temple of God in us, which contradicts with the compatibility with the idols worshipped by the foreigners who are among us? We already know well enough that everything that we put on the scale of our priorities that is higher than communion or communication with God, knowledge of God, and the search for God, 
is an idol worshipped by foreigners who are among us. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5-7 through seven, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Here, Pastor highlighted for us because we talked about uh, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Okay, covetousness we're looking at here. Covetousness, which is idolatry. It says, sir, this is a worship to, to demons. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So what is covetousness? Covetousness is greed or avarice. Love of money, greed, self-interest, covetousness, insatiability. At the root of covetousness is the fulfillment of the corrupt desires of the flesh. This kind of idolatry in the format of covetousness manifests itself in an immoderate thirst for publicity and fame, for the achievement of which the theft of revelations given to God's messengers, the practice of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, casting out demons, and evangelism are used. So, in this, covetousness is revealed. Take a look at how covetousness has hidden him, hidden itself in. So in order for the fruit of holiness that we have grown to cooperate with the holiness of God, and in this way, give God a reason to walk among us and be our God and we to be His people, we need to test ourselves on the subject of whether we have paid the price for the right to power, to manifest holiness, and testifying brotherly love in our faith in the five prohibitions indicated. So these five prohibitions must be... Uh, uh, must be fulfilled by us. The sixth price of the right to demonstrate fruit of holiness and the demonstration of brotherly love is comprised of accepting correction from God as consolation. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 10. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to the sons. What kind of consolation? Exhortation. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. He scourges every son whom he receives. So here he punishes disciplines. We need to correctly hit, not to uh, not to incorrectly discipline, but to correctly discipline by punishing. When a mother and father are example parents and parents or children acting correctly, he needs to be disciplined. But when when these when the parents live incorrectly and unrighteously and then they discipline their children, this is not correct. If you endure chastening, God's deal with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you were without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Turns out we need to chasten. How did this? How did this? How does this discipline? Uh, how was this shown? It was an example. Sometimes we listen and we say, do we need to punish or discipline our children? Pastor says we do need to discipline. The Word of God says need to correctly discipline. Take a look at how Pastor disciplined his children and take a listen and imitate him. And the rest must take example. 
and others say, I do this. Well, okay, if you do this. Do your children come to you and to confess? Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. We have paid attention on numerous occasions to the fact that correction from God that this place of scripture is referring to is a format of correction in which God, out of his love toward us, pours out his light in order to protect us from perdition. Job chapter 39, verses 31 through 35. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer to you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. If you've paid attention, then the value of chastisement in the format of correction, which is a manifestation of the Lord's mercy and is sent to us exclusively as His children, um, there are five definitions that determine the value and purpose of the Lord's corrections addressed to us in order to save us from death. And again, these are five definitions that we were offered that determine the value and purpose of the Lord's corrections addressed to us in order to save us from death. The first definition of the correction of the Lord, the angel mediator, offers us five qualities. The number five, this is going to come across our five feelings, a person who represents the five manifold ministry, fivefold ministry, and he offers us these five uh, disciplining components. First, let us listen very intently. Sometimes, if you correct a person, he no longer sees, he no longer lifts his eyes up, he wants to show that he is suffering, it's difficult for him to carry this out. Well, okay, let's come, let's be comforted now in reading these points. First, the correction of the Lord is one of the formats of instruction in the way that leads to eternal life. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17, He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. Considering that the corrections of the Lord in the format of instruction are sent by God through a person vested with the authority of the fatherhood of God, the reason why a person rejects the corrections of the Lord is the arrogance and pride of his heart and his mind, thanks to which he rejects the authority of the messenger of the Lord in favor of their own opinion. That's why he has such a sullen face because he has his own opinion. Scripture characterizes people who rely on the strength of their intellect as ignorant, who refuse to show holiness and obedience to the words of instruction put by the Holy Spirit in the mouths of the messengers of God. So a person who relies on his own intellect is called uh, ignorant. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is uh, is stupid. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. You might even check a person's IQ. No, Lord says, here's my IQ. If a person is corrected and he doesn't like this, this means that he has a very low spiritual IQ. This person is ignorant in the spirit. He has a very low IQ in his spirit because he incorrectly acts toward instruction or correction. The correction of the Lord, second, pours out light on the ways of the Lord, called to lead a person out of the way of perdition and to salvation, only through correction. Proverbs 15.10, harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. 
In this case, forsaking the way of the Lord is the result of a person's hatred of correction or the refusal of a person to be a disciple of Christ in the face of a person sent by God. Third, the correction of the Lord is the format of counsel that comes from a person clothed in the powers of the fatherhood of God, called to make the person receiving instruction wise. So let's again highlight for ourselves with a highlighter, because where does correction come from here? Why does pastor say correction comes from a person clothed in the powers of the fatherhood of God? Because he must be an angel mediator, one out of a thousand. And here pastor says that a person that is clothed in the powers of the fatherhood of God is what this is referring to. Therefore, the format that comes from a person clothed in the powers of the fatherhood of God, a person who receives correction is made wise. Proverbs 19.20 Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Fourth, correction of the Lord in the lips of the messenger of God, this angel mediator, as a result, will find will find authority. The angel of the Lord, when he corrects, will be honored by the person who accepts this correction. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-three. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-three. He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. And fifthly, the correction of the Lord that is found in the word of prudent parents, in the lips of prudent parents, is in hand with the rod. Proverbs 29.15 The rod and rebuke give wisdom. When we discipline, we must say we must not just hit and say, son, but the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The rod and rebuke gives wisdom. We must speak to our children. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And this was a sixth component. And then quickly, the seventh component for the right to reveal the fruit of holiness is for us to understand our salvation in Christ Jesus. To understand salvation, this is the price of holiness. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. For we were saved in hope. Hope when it sees. For he who sees, why then shall he, shall he hope? But when we have hope in what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Upon being born from the seed of the word of truth, not just the status of our birth from God, but also our justification that we receive in our new birth is given to us in the seed that is a deposit of our salvation. And in order to receive justification that is given to us in salvation, the format of a deposit as a belonging, we need to place it into circulation in the death of the Lord Jesus. How? By way of rejecting our nation, the house of our Father, and the corrupt lusts of our soul, so that then, as a result, we can receive we can receive an income that will allow the grace of God to reign in our hearts. How do we receive salvation? How does it grow? We receive it in the seed, and then it grows. And now, a very beautiful proverb, the proverb of Christ, and then Pastor beautifully highlights it. Let's listen to it carefully. We have not a lot of time left. Luke chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Luke chapter 
11, verses 21-23. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. He will take all his weapons. But now our lips, we are going to bless the Lord. We are going to, uh, the stronger man when he comes, he is going to overcome the old man. I have read this. Now let us read together. The strong one, the strong one, Fully armed, guarding his house, this is the old man in the face of reigning sin for which our body is a home and outside of which he in no way can neither manifest his essence nor reign over us. The weapon in which the old man trusts and with which he protects our body from the authority of Christ in the face of our new man, this is the law of holiness giving him the power to keep us in bondage which expresses itself in dependence on our people, our father's house and the corrupt lusts of our soul. Again, it's the law of Moses. It's the law of um, Moses, the law of works that gives him the power to keep us in bondage, which expresses itself in dependence on our people, our Father's house, and the corrupt lusts of our soul. But the stronger one that comes, this is Christ. In, in us, he is in the face of our innermost spiritual man, who, but he who has come to the full measure of the stature of Christ. Until our new man has come to the full measure of the stature of Christ, he is not called a stronger one. The stronger one is Christ who is in us and who will bring our spirit to the full measure of the stature of Christ into a perfect man. And when our spirit comes to the full measure of the stature of Christ, and Scripture says that we have a stronger one who is going to be able to take the weapon upon which the old man relies on, and he is going to be able to take all that he had in his hands, our soul and our body. Turns out our new man will do this who has come to the full measure of the stature of Christ, not just Christ. We say, Lord, help me. Please do this for me. He's saying, why are you yelling at me? You in your hand have a sword. Why are you yelling? This is uncomfortable before the angels. The new man. The new man is the stronger one. The victory of the stronger one in the face of our new man who has come to the full measure of the stature of Christ consists in the fact that a new man received the opportunity to work with the rational capabilities of our soul thanks to the fact that by obeying our faith to the faith of God, we lost it in the death of Jesus to find it in the resurrection of Jesus. Here, Pastor mentions a detail that it doesn't just come our, perfect, our new man to the full measure of the stature of Christ, but our soul is also transformed and also becomes saved along with the Spirit. She also goes to the death of the Lord Jesus, whereas our spirit grows, when our spirit grows. Thus, our new man, working with the thoughts of our soul, renewed by the resurrection of Christ, received at his disposal the rod of our lips to confess the faith of God, abiding in its essence, in which our soul began to consider itself dead to the reigning sin in our body, but alive for God, calling the non-existent power of life in our earthly body as existent. And so we have taken the weapon away from the old man which he relied on. Who did this? The stronger one. Who is this? Our inner spiritual man who has come to the full measure of the stature of Christ. And he is going to come when our soul is transformed, when it goes through death. And then the new man through the soul is going to take this weapon, our lips that cursed us. Oh, how sick I am. Oh, how old am I? How, how, how poor am I? Everything is not going as I want it to. 
well, no, we have not yet taken the, the, the weapon from the old man, if we, if we say this. According to the lips of a person, we can define, does he have the stronger one in the face of Jesus Christ that is found in the new man that has come to the full measure of the statue of Christ? Thus, our words confessing the faith of God abiding in the depths of our innermost man became the weapon with our words, our words, our words. Our meek lips became the weapon with which we share with Christ our soul stolen by sin in our body, thereby confirming our calling and our election in Christ Jesus. It, it turns out that this weapon we take, so we take our soul and our body by affirming our calling and our election in Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verses 35 to 37. A good man of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So here, these words with which we are going to be justified by, these are supposed to come from the stronger one, who is called to be in us, and this stronger one, our spirit. Christ is going to do all through our spirit. Our spirit must take from the old man the weapon. And he will do this along with the soul, with renewed thinking, through the proclamation. I seize negatively, um, proclaim, I strive to speak negatively of myself because this means that the weapon is in the hands of the old man. And this is not good. And now, let us take a look at three components that have been presented to us. How we begin to ask with the, we can, how we begin to work with these meek lips, how we take this weapon and we begin to act with these, with this weapon, with our meek lips. Three definitions. First, let us remember that the words by which we are called to justify ourselves. First, if first uh, we condemned ourselves, well, of course, there was the strong one. As scripture calls the old man a strong one. But the spirit also becomes stronger, and he must become the stronger one, stronger than the old man, when he imitates Christ in himself. Therefore, the words that we are called to justify ourselves acquire their legal force when we are in Christ or in the body of Christ, and Christ lives in our body, which is possible only after co-crucifixion with Christ. And so, to place ourselves, what I've understood here, the following, my words will have power when I place myself in Christ. When I place myself in Christ, I must become a part of the body of Christ. I must enter into the body of Christ and to place Christ in me, I can do only through the death of the Lord Jesus. With the law, I die to the law so that I can live for the one who died and rose. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Through what? Through death. If I abide in death through crucifixion in Christ, this gives us the basis to carry the death of Jesus within us, which gives the Holy Spirit the basis to manifest the life of Jesus in our body. And so, to place ourselves in Christ is to place ourselves in the Church of God, where He represents us, and we are found under His protection. And we place and this is the first. The second, we are talking about how we are called to fight with these with this weapon. The words that we are called to justify ourselves with acquire the legal force when we confess them in the format of the faith of God that dwells in our hearts. 
Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the death, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When do we when we confess any promise that is absent in our heart in the format of the faith of God abiding in it, then in this way we confess idle words that will be incriminated to us as sin. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words will be justified, and by your words will be condemned. Proclaim. Proclaim. Because you are found in Christ. You are found in the church. And you have died to your nation, your household, and the corrupt desires. Proclaim. Proclaim. You are found in Christ. Christ is found in you. Proclaim. Proclaim. And thirdly, the words with which we are called to justify ourselves as a weapon and a price that gives us the right to power to show the holiness of God's love in an atmosphere of brotherly love. Hebrews 12:14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So, to proclaim the holy word of God. Amen. You may be blessed and let us pray together. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you. We are grateful to your holy name for this great privilege to be found in this place. And this place was highlighted so that upon this place can be conducted worship unto your holy name, so that upon this place you can lift up your saints and to lift us up on heights higher than us. And also, being found in this place, you allow us to be placed in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you have allowed us to find narrow gates. You have allowed us to find them in the face of a virtuous wife, of which you said, he who finds her, her price is greater and higher than rubies. We thank you that you have allowed us to find to find those of whom you to find this virtuous wife you have allowed us to become a partaker of your church and having become a partaker of your church we have entered in you and you represent us when we are found under your divine uh, under your divine shade we thank you that we are found not just under the clefts of the rock but we like a dove are found in the secret places of the cliff which allows Christ to be found in us Lord, you not just you had not just allowed in your death and resurrection for us to place ourselves in you, but you have also been placed in us. When we, Lord, are immersed in the death of the Lord Jesus and we die in it, so that we can walk with you in a renewed life. And we thank you that you have allowed us to find you. And from this position to each saint that is found in this place, he, we can proclaim the justification of God because it is yes and amen in our life because I am found in you I am found under the cleft of the rock and you are found in me when I am found in the secret places of the cliff you have placed us in this secret place in the death of the Lord Jesus you have made a covenant with our new man and today our new man comes to power and comes into the state when you will give it a name and status of the stronger one and when our spirit becomes the stronger one stronger than the old man which from its youth knew what pain was you have allowed us to grow through cooperation of our faith with the faith of God of our innermost man 
and to illuminate Christ in our essence and receive in our essence the stronger one in the face of Jesus Christ who has hidden himself in our spiritual innermost man. And we ask you to give us the opportunity today to take the weapon upon which the old man relies on, to take the proclamation and those words, those negative words with which we curse ourselves, our children, our finances, our health, our soul and our body. We cursed our loved ones and friends. Allow us to take away this weapon upon which our old man relies on, which are found in the service of condemnation, and to give it to the one that is found in the ministry of justification so that these lips can, can, can begin to justify us. And we are justified from the position of your word, your holiness, your inheritance, and we thank you for your justification that we have received as a gift of grace in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have been pierced for us and have redeemed us by your blood from every kind of curse, from the curse of the law, from the curse of the law. You have redeemed us from the second death, and you also have redeemed us from ourselves, and we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to you. We have been purchased by you, Lord, and we today give ourselves as servants unto you. And for this, Lord, we today destroy. We destroy all bonds. We destroy all chains, all yokes that could have bound us with the unfaithful, that could have bound us with Belial, with Satan that could abound us with wickedness, with lawlessness, with idols and our own fame and desire for our glory. We destroy all of this so that we can take your yoke and your burden upon us. You have said that your yoke is light. We thank you, Lord, it is light because this burden you carry along with your saints. This is a very difficult burden. This is a very difficult burden. Lord, your burden is very heavy. When it falls upon a person, it's but given that we are found with you under one yoke, under one yoke, and our faith cooperates with your faith, then the yoke becomes light. We thank you that today the weapon which the strong one in our essence relied on we have made the decision to take it from him. We will not allow him to ever, to will not allow the old man to manifest himself through our lips. Our lips, there has been a covenant made. Our eyes, our ears, our hands and our feet. Our new man has made a covenant with them with which you made a covenant. And we give our members into servants of righteousness so that you allow us to overcome because if we do not overcome the strong one to the moment of the fulfillment of your promise, the reign of the resurrection of Christ, and if we do not demonstrate our ability, the proclamation of meek lips, this promise will, will cease in us. We don't want the promise to be put to shame in us. That's why we destroy all 
chains and bonds. We destroy all yokes of the enemy. And we clothe ourselves into as servants of Christ. We thank you for these precious truths. We thank you that you not only have allowed us to be found in the church which you call as one that is greater than rubies. You have given us these great truths, these wonderful statutes. You have given us the word of God that also is above all rubies. And we cherish this word. We await for the revelation of this word within ourselves. And we accept this word and we keep this word. And we thank you, Lord, that we have the angel mediator. We thank you that you are able to clothe us and we are going to accept this correction as instruction through which you are going to talk to us or to speak to us of our future, of our hope. We thank you for that word that we have today and we with trembling await for that word that you have prepared for us. And we truly have known that you answered to your anointed one from your holy heavens. May your name be blessed in this holy place. Our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And let us conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.